Well, if the men are the leadership of the church, then they're failing here. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, to some degree. Maybe. I think at some point we reach that, that if the men are the leadership of the church, then yes, to some degree, they are failing the women. But to the women out there, stop waiting on them. Welcome to City Square Podcast, where we talk to everyday people about faith and work. My name is John, and if this is your first time uh, tuning in, please uh, take a quick moment, subscribe to the channel, uh, like the video, click the bell, and as you're listening to the conversation, uh, feel free to drop some comments, some questions, and uh, any feedback uh, below. But today, my guest is my wife, Emily. Hi! (laughs) What cigar are you lighting? Um, I have the Leather Rose, the Fat Bottom Betty. Nice, nice. It's a go-to for me, for sure. That's your favorite, right? At the moment, yes. Kind of lit it all crooked, but it's fine. I'll survive. Pretty sure I might caught that torch lighter. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but I'm a, I have a Rocky Patel, which is from a sampler that I bought. So we'll see how it goes. We're probably making Micah cringe with our lighting abilities. So just out of curiosity, I think you just said this. What do you think won the sound battle, me or the lighter? Oh, I'm pretty sure the lighter. Yeah. Yeah, it's like right in front of the mic. Right in front of the mic. <laughs> We also have a couple of amber ales. <laughs> so I don't know if everybody knows this, but you are ultimately, I guess, the genius behind uh, all the uh, production of uh, the podcast. <laughs> Very novice genius, if that's a thing. Um, but uh, yeah. You edit the audio, edit the video footage. Schedule the episodes, make the uh, thumbnails, do a lot of, not all, but a lot of the the social media and uh, all that kind of good stuff. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. And as we're recording in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's a barking dog. Got to figure out, figure out how to get rid of that. There's a car that just drove by. How do I get rid of that? So this is going to be a lot of fun. There's an AC running in the background. For the audio nerds, that's a consistent noise. I can get rid of that. <laughs> How many uh, airplanes do you think we'll have today? Uh, what are we betting? No, we're not betting. I'm just, I'm just asking. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, okay. My bet is three. Three? We're not winning anything, though. Hmm. Yeah. Betting loses a lot of meaning when uh, you're married to the person you're betting with. Right. Hmm. It could gain new meaning, though. <laughs> awesome. Yep. So we've, uh, let me see, this summer will be 12 years of being married. So um, I know you. I like to think I do, at least. Um, a lot of the people probably watching, some of them probably do know you, but a lot of them probably don't. So would you mind uh, sharing in your, uh, as uh, in-depth as we may have time for, but just your story, your testimony with everybody? Yeah, I can share a little bit. Um, I grew up on the outskirts of Austin. A uh, fairly rural town. I probably graduated high school with a little over 100 people. Um, I grew up in 
I'm not sure what we called it, but John, you probably call it a compound or a commune or whatever you want to call it. Whatever word sounds best. Um, Both communes. Yeah. But I grew up next to my grandparents, my aunts and uncles. Um, we all lived on one um, parcel of land, one one section of land. And so I had a very strong um, community with my family. And uh, there's many times I miss that. But um, we really didn't go to church at all. Uh, my parents weren't against church. They definitely didn't you know, discourage us from going. And if we went and stayed at friends' houses, my older brother and I would go to church with them. And um, I remember hearing about God and, you know, knowing, you know, to the extent that a small child can understand prayer, um, you know, you can pray to God, but like, I didn't know what that truly meant. And um, so growing up, I basically was in this same small town my whole life. Um, from infancy to graduating high school. And so I had a friend the whole time I was there, one friend that I had growing up from start to beginning or from start to end. And uh, we're still friends now. And, and she used to ask me, do you want to come to church? Do you want to come to church? Do you want to come to church? And sometimes I would just be like, yes, I'll go with you. And I'd end up at church. And so... um she had a very godly mom and I know she was saved at an early age. And so there's many times after I was saved that, um, definitely we sat down together and had conversations about God as, you know, as best as we could. So anyways, fast forward quite a bit. Um, I kind of resonated with, um, Estevan's story about the bus ministries because, I had been picked up by a cousin of mine that lived up the street in a bus from a fundamental Baptist church. Was there goldfish? There were no goldfish. No goldfish. I had to think about that. We had goldfish crackers, but that's the extent of it. <laughs> um, but what this bus ministry would do is they'd drive around our little town and um, they'd ask the kids on the bus, do you have family members? Because it was small and, you know everyone knew everybody and everyone had family and all that kind of stuff right there. And so you could easily say, you know, Oh, my first cousin lives down the block. You go pick them up. And most likely the bus driver knew the parent and they say, Hey, we're picking up your daughter. And so that's what happened. And I did this like I'm texting, but they'd call landlines and boring stuff like that. Um, and so I get on this bus and I go to this fundamental Baptist church, had no idea what that meant at the time. I didn't even know denominations were a thing. Um, and got involved briefly with them and ended up getting sucked into going to, um, summer camp. And at this summer camp, we're worshiping and we're in the, the, the sanctuary singing whatever song we were singing. I have a horrible memory. And I just remember all my friends are going up to the front and I'm like, oblivious. What are we doing? And I'm like, oh, okay, we're going up to the front. I must need to go up to the front because, you know, rule follower. So I followed them up front. And all of a sudden, someone's like, you know, you're here to give your heart to Christ. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm probably sixth, seventh grade. Not understanding. At this point, had gone to church maybe a handful of times with my friend. And um, I'm just terrified at this point. I'm like, 
Yes. <laughs> As a scared, shy, introverted little kid, I'm just like, whatever gets me out of this situation faster yeah. is what I want to do. And so I said, yes. And, and he asks me all these questions I don't even remember, none of which go any deeper than just me going, yes. And we go back to our bunks and, you know, our lady sponsor that was with us, like, she's ecstatic, all exciting, which I get that now, you know, on the other side, you get excited when someone has, you know, is following Christ, when Christ has called them. And so you get excited. And so I'm as a little kid sitting there going, I'm not going to let this adult down. So I'm, I lie my way through it. Like not honestly, I think at the time, not thinking I was lying, but I'm going like, I need to not disappoint this adult. Get home. Um, and something's different. I don't know what it is. I don't understand the concept of conviction, the Holy Spirit moving, um, that Christ changes you, uh, like those things. I don't get that. So fast forward into high school, my friend, you know, I tell her this story and she's all excited, but we don't know what to do with it because we have no one discipling us. The closest would be her mom and I don't see them very often. And so my friend and I would just talk about God sporadically at high school. And we know we'd be in the corner just like reading something and trying to figure it out and um, brokenly understanding these things. And I'd go to church with her because she dragged me to church. So respond to an altar call poorly. I'm now being drugged to church. If I haven't said it already, I'm an introverted person. So like, that's not something I enjoy. Go into college. I know to some degree who God is at this point. I understand the Holy Spirit to a minuscule amount. I understand what the altar call was supposed to be. But I don't know if I would have placed myself as saved on that very day. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I, I just don't, I don't know. I wouldn't have placed myself because like there was no actual, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, laying down of my life, Christ changing that. And there, there was no fruit of what was happening. Right. So, um, we joined the, I, I, I joined the Baptist student ministry, um, in Alpine my freshman year in college. And there's this speaker that comes down and you have a better memory than me. And you might remember his name, but Mike Sutterfield, Mike Sutterfield. So he's in the, the we follow each other on social media. <laughs> well, shout out to Mike <laughs> Sutherfield um, for literally laying out the death on the cross well to where a confused freshman in college finally heard what it meant for Christ to die on the cross for me. What that action was for. Because um, I didn't know. I didn't know that I was sinful. I didn't know I was a wretch. I didn't know I was unsavable. I didn't know that I couldn't earn it. And then here someone is going, this is what Christ did for you. This is what Jesus did for you. This was his ministry. And because of his sacrifice, because of his calling on your life, you are saved. And the understanding of saved is I get Christ. Um, finally understood that went back to my room. 
Um, we were spoiled college students because we had those suites. You had the middle living room and we'd have our separate rooms with doors we could shut. Uh, basically apartments. It was fantastic. Um, so I go into my room and shut the door and just hit the floor and cry. At that moment, I would say I was saved. That yeah. Christ called me. That's when your life was changed, transformed. Yeah. That's when you would say you started following. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hands down. And before that, I would have looked, because of my who I am, um, I would have looked at people and I'm like, you are an energy drain and I do not want to spend my time with you. Yeah. And it wasn't out of a place of like, Aha, I'm better than you. It was more so like, you're going to drain all the energy I have and I need it for this other thing. There was a selfishness, but there wasn't a, you know, an eliteness to it, which come to find out it came off as that. And so what instantly changed was, God, why should I go and talk to that person? God, why do you want me to go and extend the the little bit of energy I have on that person. Why do you want me? Why? why? What's your plan for them? And sometimes you, I got to see that pan out. Other times I just felt like I was throwing the little bit of energy and effort I had into someone that wasn't ever going to send a response. And so that was a dramatic change in my life. Um, I would say I, I viewed right away and the rest of that continues down the line of when I meet you. People are still draining though. Oh yeah. yeah. People are still draining. And, um, I've learned over time how to balance those things out. And I think one of your best or not your best, but one of your favorite sayings to me was when we were going to a church in Dallas, the pastor said, um, I'll poorly quote it, but basically don't your introversion isn't an excuse not to go and spread the gospel, have yeah. a picnic at your house, go outside, interact with people, go in, throw up and come back outside. <laughs> yeah. Some days it feels like that. <laughs> I'm going to let you light it first this time. Oh yeah. Ready? <laughs> ASMR, right? So, in addition to, so like, yes, you are an introvert. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, people are draining. Uh, but you look at it through like a different lens now. Yeah. And so it's not like you're draining, <laughs> push push people back. But it's like, mm -hmm. you're draining, but my life has a different purpose now. Yeah. Um, it's not an individual life. Right, right. My life has a different purpose now. Um, I, I've been... I've, I'm a part of God's family now, um, and and so like yes, it is draining, but like this work here is worth it, so I'm not going to pull away from it. Um, and like I think finding the balance probably is always work; it's always in progress. Yeah. Um, and so, is there anything else that you would you could say that you noticed a a change in and how you viewed just life in general? Um, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be like introvert related. Yeah. Um, because like the reason I'm asking is because like one of the things I always I just like to make a point of and you know this yeah is that like when you be when you're in this new life right as a follower of Christ uh, God has saved you a lot of times we talk about like when we talk about repentance and sanctification and that kind of thing it's always like well we stop doing all these bad things yeah like well I'm not gonna have sex anymore I'm not gonna like 
uh, cuss anymore. I'm not going to do these things. But it also, it's not about what you just stop doing, but it's about what you start doing. It's also about like how some things just change. Um, no, the biggest change, unless unless you want to point something directly to no. me that you've noticed, because there's a lot of things I know you probably noticed that I don't even see. But what was strange for me is I always liked to joke that my parents were lucky because my brother and I were good kids. Yeah. I mean, we argued like normal kids argued. Um, my brother did a couple of stupid things, but nothing, you know, except for the one, but nothing like earth shatteringly bad. Um, we didn't sneak out to my knowledge, my brother. (laughs) Yeah. To my knowledge, I'm not going to speak for my brother, but, uh, I, I never saw or heard if he did. Um, and I don't think he did, but, um, we weren't sneaking out, getting drinks. We weren't smoking. Well now, but like. We weren't we weren't doing. But drugs. we're smoking smoking to the glory of God now. I know, right? And like, whatever. This is healthier, <laughs> but um, it's really not. But um, we weren't doing those things. And so yeah. when when Christ called me, the biggest thing that I had, well, there yeah, there is another one that I really don't want to get into. But um, the biggest thing that I had to lay down was yeah it was my personality of introversion is i don't want to be around people so all of a sudden i was like i need to be around people yeah i'm exhausted and i'm selfish with my time so i had to lay down that selfishness with my time and give it to other people and sometimes to the sacrifice of which i've learned other ways but sometimes to the sacrifice of myself um, at times I've, I had to lay down my idea of what I wanted to do. Um, which maybe uh, again, de- dug into personality is I wanted to be in range and wildlife. I was going to go in my mind, I was going to go work on a landowner's ranch alone by myself forever by myself. The end. I was okay. Not being married. I was okay. Just going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then I realized probably a couple of years into college, like, that's not good for me. When I'm alone for too long, I know depression kicks in. I know that selfishness dives back in. I know that that sin is easier to fall into alone. And so um, I changed majors. I became a psychology major. And then I even had to lay that down because I wanted to go and get my LPC. I wanted to counsel. I want, I'd still love to go into trauma counseling, but it just, nice. it just didn't go the way God planned. And when we went into church planning, it just didn't make sense. Um, do I use those skills? Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, let me um, let me figure out how to ask this. <laughs> um, if you ask, so me. you're not so more so. Let's start by making a statement, uh, or let me. Uh, so what you're saying is, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so we're not saying that being an introvert is a sin. No, we're not saying that it's bad. No. Um, have you wrestled with having to like figure that out? 
are the times where you thought maybe there's some, maybe this is something that's wrong with me that needs to be fixed. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And how have you tried navigating through that? Well, because like, there's many times when I've been told, like, I used to make the joke that like, what's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you all so weird? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's many times I was told that, um, oh, you need just you just need to learn how to get over it, or mm-hmm. you really need to go and be around other people. You'll just learn how to do it. And like to some degree, that's true, but it isn't just throwing yourself in there until you drown. It's dipping your feet in, you know, figuring out, okay, this works. This doesn't work. You know, walking into the water up to your knees going, this kind of works. Yeah, I'm too, I I cannot handle this much. So let's go this way. Getting a little bit further, waist deep, waist deep, you know, until you can swim and actually figure out, okay, I'm going to go over here and do this thing. I'm feeling exhausted. I need to go over here and do this. And so you, you're learning how to balance those things out. And once I figured out that it wasn't, I need to be like John. I need to be who God has called me to be within the personality that I have. Not using it as a crutch to escape things, but to know where he's called me to go. For example, when we first moved back to Alpine, we did that block party. Oh, yeah. That was fun. It was miserable. <laughs> but you wanted to go to door to door. I didn't. Well, yeah. Okay. So oh, 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 no, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. I didn't want to go door to door. I knew that we needed to go door. Okay. So you, so you knew that we needed to go door to door. Yeah. Knocking on random strangers' doors because we hadn't met our neighbors yet. And so you asked me to go with you. I did not want to go, but I went. It was one of the, I I would put it up there, one of the worst things that I've done. I will never do it again unless Christ says go and do it. Um, Because every door we walked up to was so physically draining and nerve wracking and terrifying. You may as well have just thrown me to drown. Like, and I'm not, I'm not placing that on you, (laughs) but like, it was a learning experience. Like, I'm not good at this, and that's yep. okay. I'm great over in these other areas. I am not a knock on the door, hey, come to our block party, but I will set up every table, and I will put all the stuff on it, and I will organize it, and I will make sure everything's good. I will hospitality the hell out of things. Does that include make a casserole? As, as <laughs> Carrie said, I am not... The, I can make the casserole. <laughs> I don't always make it. You're not, that, you're not the casserole lady. I am not the casserole lady. That's what all taste the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all basically condensed chicken, cream, chicken and mushroom and noodles. Um, But like, I'm not the door knocker. Yeah. And that's okay. If I, if there's not someone else to knock on the door. If there's not someone else to do, you'll do it. I will do it. Yeah. Because God says go. But I'm not, that's not my calling. So one of the way that I looked at that situation, one of the way I look at a lot of things is, okay, so like, we're going to do the block party. We need to go knock on doors and invite people, that kind of thing. Because that was the, that was the idea, right? We want to invite our neighbors to get to know our neighbors yeah, and, and, and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And so like, knocking on strangers' doors is not a lot of fun because you never know what's going to happen. You don't know if you, if there was a no soliciting sign that you didn't see. 
Like, you just don't know what's going, what's going on. Whether or not you're mistaken um, as Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, there's so many different things. Help. But, like, for me, I was like, I can go and do that because I was like, I'm like, okay, this is only going to take an hour. This is only going to suck for an hour. Like, it can suck for an hour. Life <laughs> is a lot longer than one hour. It is. And, um, yeah. is, is, does that help? Or is it just still suck no matter what? It's going to take the same amount of energy the other way. Yeah. And so... Can you psych yourself up for it? Certain things I can. I can go, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Let's go, like, internally, right? I have a very loud internal dialogue most days. Um, to a distracting degree. But uh, there is a point where I can go, let's go. Like, this has to get done. Let's go. But it's when it's thrown on me spur of the moment and I can't go let's go and do this one hour thing and then go chill by ourselves and recoup for three hours yeah if it's thrown on me and then I've got six other things like I'm gonna be a miserable human being the rest of the day and I'm not talking like attitude wise like internally I'm stressed I can't think correctly I can't speak to people correctly I can't hold a conversation like I will be so out of it that I am no use. Um, and that's taken years to figure out. Yeah. I think that's probably that's probably the big difference. Yeah. Between, I guess, how you're wired and probably how, like, how, how I am. is because, like, that's going to be... That, for me, like, that was probably the most awkward for, like, the first two or three doors. But, like, I got, I got over it. And then the rest of the day is, like, I'm not drained after those things. Yeah. Well, and I can say to any church planners out there, coming from someone that's terrified to go do that, go and do that. Like, I understand. And like, Ross has done that. Yeah. Go and do that. That is one of the most beneficial things you can do. Go two to three neighbors down and and meet them. Because when we did that, you met a mom that needed help. You met a libertarian guy that you ended up having coffee with and talking about weird, random things. People hung out in our backyard. We had our the two men that moved in next door mm-hmm. right before we, like, we got to meet them. Yeah. And so... And a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, people started waving at us all of a sudden. So, like, it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I just wouldn't go with you. <laughs> <laughs> I would sit on the porch and wave at them. I would... I guess this is one of those things, like when you get married, like I'm going to benefit from some of the things that Christ tells you to go and do and vice versa. So I'm trying to remember what my mindset was where I basically didn't make you do it. I just strongly encouraged encouraged you to do it. (laughs) And I think part of my mindset was, well, one, we're a team. Yeah. And the other part of it was, I don't know whose door I'm going to knock on. Having a woman there next to me is going to make other people feel who I'll open the door who probably would have opened it. It instantly takes your creep factor down. That's and what the, it was. At the time, I didn't have blue hair either, so. Yeah, it took my creep factor away. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah. Learning to, I guess if I could wrap that kind of, like, thought up. Learning to work with my personality instead of fighting against it to be what other people expect of you. <clears throat> is probably what I've learned the most is so how to it, work alone. Would it be fair to say I'm not, no, I'm, you're no longer trying to be who people think you need to be, but like you're being who you need to be in situations? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, not to sound so cliche, but yeah, I'm I'm actually trying to be who I am instead of who other people are dictating that I should be. Yeah. 
I'm an individual. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I like that you brought that example up, though, because that was one of the more, I don't know if fun's the right way to talk about it, but like just that little that little thing that we did, because it wasn't huge. I think we might have like maybe had 20 people come to our house. Yeah. Maybe. And they were all um, strangers. And they were all, that's the thing, was like they were Which all strangers. <laughs> that's what's what made it cool. Yeah. They were all strangers. There are people we had probably, most people that showed up didn't even answer the door. I just left a little, a little yep. invite on the door. And they either, Showed up without saying anything, which is cool. Or they texted back and said, Hey, uh, thanks for the invite. We'd love to come. Can we bring something? Mm-hmm. And then there's other people who didn't need to do this, but it's thoughtful. They texted me back and said, Hey, we can't make it. Which was sweet. Yeah. yeah. But like, we, there was people who lived next to us who we had no idea who they were. Yeah. People who worked for the schools, people who owned businesses, people who were retired. Well, that, that, inter- that, interaction actually came in handy because you met someone that worked for the school district yeah and later we worked alongside the school district yeah um and like people who would have when they drove by they started honking and waving mm-hmm. when they would were walking their dogs they would wave um but like a month later because i made a made a brisket yeah yeah uh one of the guys thought the brisket was phenomenal understandably so he, uh, I saw him in the parking lot like four or six weeks later. He's like, hey, I've got a barbecue sauce for you. Nice. And it, well, he had it with him, which was interesting. <laughs> it's like he's just carrying around this barbecue yeah. sauce, like waiting to meet you. <laughs> that he would make, he, he was his recipe to give it to yeah. me. And, um, I mean, like, so we, like you said, we kind of, there's people we got to, to minister to and just all sorts of different things like that. Though the man you met referenced, referenced mm-hmm. uh, me and him went and had a coffee for like eight hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I day. thought you went missing. That was something. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, that was, that was fun. Um, so I guess that's a, a natural transition to what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Which was just about what you thought about our time church planning, uh, what it was like being, like, I guess, a church planner's wife and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, one, the cicadas have taken off. So it's already yeah. getting hot in Texas. Um, it's always hot. We can we can unpack this more, but to sum it all up, it was a lot. It was worse than I, what I was warned. Definitely. Which is incredible because we had really good warnings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we went to the trainings, they were like, church planning is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But it was worse than what I, what I thought. <laughs> I'm not it saying we're... S- it was good. We'll get there. That's why I said we can unpack it. Hang on, wait, let me do the Trump thing. It was good, but we can unpack it. Um, but <laughs> uh, lost my train of thought now. Um, it was worse than they told you it was going to be. Yeah, so it was worse than what they, they told me it was going to be. And I'm not going to sit here and say that we're special cases. Because, you know, you've interviewed Ross and his wife, Tanya, has shared similar things. Yeah. And... It's just, when you do rural church planting, let me make sure I pronounce that correctly with my, with my accent, rural church planting, um, it is isolating. Yeah. Now, Ross has had a slightly different, um, experience because he shared that, that he didn't, you know, he got some of that, but it wasn't, didn't seem as bad. And thank God for that. Yeah. Because where we were. 
for me, there was, yeah, for me, <laughs> there was no, um, discipleship. And I was still pretty young in my faith because, you know, we went it, we went into church planning maybe what, four or five years after we graduated college. So I'd been a Christian barely. Like I hadn't really started taking yeah. theology seriously until we started church planning. So maybe until I went to the coast. So yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, I, I got serious and I got really serious into church planning and politics when John went on a missions yeah. trip with our church yeah. students. Yeah. And I was like, all of a sudden I care <laughs> <laughs> when John's not around. So I didn't get serious about my theology and serious about, um, discipleship and things of, of that nature until probably three or four years, Yeah, you know, into church planning. And there was no one to disciple you, me. Yeah. And at this point, um, you haven't interviewed him yet. The invitations out there. Um, but Kent Barlow, who's been on, um, the eschatology chats. Yeah was probably the closest person to a disciple where I'd ever had. Yeah. And then here we are in these realms that are going like, you can't have a man as your disciple, right? Technically it's, uh, it's, it's okay. But like, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Though? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to say like, if I sit down with Kent and have a conversation with him, like that's a sin. No, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, is consistently meeting with that man over and over again, like especially like one on one, one on one, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's very much so frowned upon. And yeah. so for me, I'm like, okay, that's there's probably wisdom in that. So yeah. I need to look for this lady in a dry place where it doesn't really exist. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like partially, we should have kind of known that. Because to some degree we went back because there weren't solid churches, right? Um, and so I should have, I should have, to some degree, known. And did I have women that I could reach out through technology? Yeah, it is not the same, right? When well, were those women that could have discipled you? Yeah, and okay. they and they could they could have, right. and I did. I talked to some of them, um, but when a college student does something stupid. And it's reflected back on you and you're sitting there crying it out and you're like, I really wish I had someone to meet it for coffee right now. Right. Like that one-on-one -on -one person to person. And so it was extremely difficult. Um, the reward in that was I started to dig into church history. I started to dig into the guys you guys talk about. Um, I started to read stuff from Spurgeon, from um, Calvin, from Chesterton, um, all of those kinds of things. I started and I was like, these guys have wives. Yeah. Where are their wives? Yeah. What were they doing? What were they writing? Who were, you know? And so I got this really nerdy um, theology book about the women of the Reformation. And it's like two volumes this thick. And I'm learning who they were and what they did. And so, yeah. So that was the difficulties of church planting for me personally. Um, the blessings of it, we were in a small town. 
we got to work with the same college students consistently. And we got to be in their lives. We got to know them exceptionally well. We got to meet them at the coffee shops and just in ways that a large city would not have. We got to, to some degree, knock on doors and our neighbors actually wave at us. And we saw them at the grocery store a lot because there was only like two, you know, technically one, but two grocery stores. It was a huge blessing. And through the struggles of church planting, I have definitely grown and God has set those firm foundation that that firm foundation underneath me to where I'm slowly was able to step forward in solid theology. Um, and to this day, like I do seek out other women to feed into my life. Um, but I've realized that if they're not there, I don't have to flounder. If they're not there, there's still things I can do. I can go and read the scriptures and go read the commentaries and figure it out and then bounce it off of you or in a group of people. And so I became very like capable person through that. And um, I look at it now and would would never wish to go through that suffering again. But I look at it now and go, because of that suffering, I am this. Um, and so where we are now, there's some amazing women around us. And I'm building those relationships. Am I necessarily in that discipleship role as the person being discipled? Not all the time, but I've reached a position where I can do the both. The big struggle now is I'm so used to being discipled around men that it's difficult to fit in being discipled around women. <laughs> so that's a whole nother story. Um, so yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Long story short. Um, not to put you on blast, but I guess to put you on blast. Yeah, go for it. What are some of the favorite women that you write about? Oh man, um, the cli- the 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 host to say cliche one, but the overly known one is Corey Tin Boone. Yeah, I finally read The Hiding Place. Fantastic, and her story and the way that she was raised, and it was just through that atrocity, a, a beautiful story of how Christ works. Um. Who is the woman that used to drive Calvin insane? She's um, on the Wall of Reformation now. Mm-hmm. She's the only woman on the Wall of Reformation. Yeah. Um, and I'll have to I'll I'll find her name and I'll pop it up on the screen or something. But there's these letters that she used to write back and forth to Calvin. Yeah. And he when when I think when she, was it when she died, um, basically he referred to her as. In, in our terminology, as frustrating and annoying. Yeah. But he had great respect for her. Yeah. Um, and even at her time, she would have been seen as overstepping the bounds of what women should be doing. But she did it graciously. Right. And she did it where it was needed. And so there's these pillars. And even, um, I think it was King Henry VIII, his wife, um, and how she influenced him to the point that when she died, like he just lost it um in the ways in which women influence through being feminine yeah um some things i've learned but yeah that's kind of i think one of the cool things about about how whenever you're reading a lot of the stories and because i wasn't reading the books but you'd come back we would talk about them afterwards and um 
I think what was really fascinating about a lot of their stories is one, they're they did really phenomenal great things in their lives. Um, a lot of really great things that um, were used by God for the gospel mm-hmm. and uh, that changed the lives of the people in like their context, their city, their mm-hmm. places where they lived. And uh, so much of what they did, they did through like embracing, I guess their the femininity yes. instead of fit, trying to like to mimic men, yeah. which is what we see a lot like with our yeah. culture today. Which we can get into that. We, I mean, I mean, I can give you a quick, I can give you a quick story Go for it. Um, because I'm the editor. I can pop this up, but just a warning. Um, I have a horrible recall. And so I'll get the names and I'll put them out there. Um, but during, I want to say either the edge of the, you know, the start of the reformation before the thesis was nailed. Um, there was a queen who opened up the banquet hall yeah to the to the what would have been the palace she routinely fed the poor right and that was uncommon before her the doors were shut right and her, one of her goals was to follow what god has called and she at the time would get her hands on scripture which at this time you know it's exceptionally rare to have printed at her in it during her time. It was exceptionally rare to have the scriptures and she had it in multiple languages and she would sit and read to the King, the gospels. She would sit and read them because she could read. And when he would be done doing what he was doing for the day, they'd come back and she would read to him. And because of those readings, he would act more graciously. Yeah. And, she was allowed to be hospitable. Right. She was allowed to invite people in. She was allowed to go out and care medically for people. She was allowed to go and do these things in a time where women weren't really supposed to do that. And of her class, how dare she interact with these people? And so there is a way to, to be feminine and serve. Yeah. Um, what that looks like may, you know, may change. It obviously varies, but like, it's possible. You just have to figure it out. What, how is God calling you to do that? And so that's my, my tangent. <laughs> oh yeah. I should have said at the beginning, um, courtesy of Micah. Yes. This was editor's pay. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, such he such up well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but I'll I'll find those names. I'll share them in the in the chat because it's worth learning. And Google the names, and you'll find a shorter article on these women. Um, again, I'm reading. You can put some links in the comments. Yeah, I definitely will. But I'm like, the descriptions are. Yeah, I'm like reading. You have to be a history history buff and you have to geek out on this stuff and yeah so just go find the article about these women and you'll learn enough but yeah so basically uh, to sum it up you basically what you couldn't find from the living women you found from uh, the women of the past yes so and like you said we're in a different situation now than we were before so there's um 
there's different women around. You said there's you have we're surrounded by some some there's some solid women that yeah. uh yeah. we um do life with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so how has that impacted and changed like how you desire and strive to uh disciple porn to other women? It definitely puts a little bit more of a fire behind it yeah. of I don't want that for other women. Um I'm going to cry on the podcast now. Um, it's my turn. <laughs> that's good. The only what makes you feel better. The only person that's crying on the podcast is a man. I know. It's my turn to cry, Antonio. <laughs> um, but like, I don't know. I don't want other women to go through that. To yeah. have to sit there and go, well, I guess I have to figure this out. Like, when literally we're told, go find someone to disciple you. Go find someone to disciple you. And it's like, you and God. Yeah. You and the Holy Spirit's leading. And, and to be able to now take what I've learned and go, I'm going to impact the lives of the ladies in front of me Yeah. because that matters. And so it definitely puts a fire behind you of like, I want to go and do that. I want to go and spend time. And as exhausting as it is, I extend myself out there because I'm like, that was miserable. And I don't want that for you. So let's get you on solid ground so you can go and disciple someone else. And this may not be the direction we're going to go, but like I did, I hit a point when I was going through this where I'm like, well, if the men are the leadership of the church, then they're failing here. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, to some degree. Maybe. I think at some point we reach that, that if the men are the leadership of the church, then yes, to some degree, they are failing the women. But to the women out there, stop waiting on them. And I don't mean usurp their authority in the church. I do not mean step in and, and be rude and, and, and not be feminine and, and those kinds of things. I mean, God has called you to disciple. He didn't say, go and ask the elder of the church don't go ask, you know, you didn't say go ask your pastor's permission to go disciple first. Go and disciple that woman. It's in scripture. If you get questioned, let's sit down and open the Bible. So basically saying it's not an excuse to be stagnant. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't sit here and blame the leadership of your church for your lack of ability to go and disciple another woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... It's like once that finally clicked, I'm like, oh, wait on me. God, take that. I'm going to go and do that now. Um, I'm going to go and disciple because I can't sit around and blame someone else for what you've called me to do. And my inaction is why I'm not doing it. And so the amount of women I have met who who don't engage or you know, tiptoe around that, they tend to blame the men of the church. And I could talk for hours about that. And nine times out of 10, I'm going to lay most of the weight on the women. Um, but I've met a lot of women who are like, eh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, the authority of the man. And I don't say that to be disrespectful. Right. You're not belittling. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, they're broken sinful, you're broken sinful, 
they're being called to do something. You've been called to do something. Go and do that thing. Raise the women up in the church. Teach them, as scripture says, to love their husbands well, to raise their children well, and to serve the church and to raise up other women among the other things that women are called to do. And, I mean, you just don't see it a lot. And uh, I pray for the day that they stop necessarily baking the casseroles and they start discipling, which discipleship can happen when baking cookies, like whatever. But we never want women to stop baking cookies. They should always bake a cookie <laughs> or a pie. I mean, we know a lady that made a mean apple pie the other day. So, um, her snickerdoodle cookies were outstanding. But like, for the sake of being comical, though, like, stop making the casserole. Sit down with your Bible with another woman and go. This is who God says we are. But anyways, continuing on. No, we're good. So, um, speaking of, we're good. Um, some of the good. Yeah. Um, let's see. Some of the good. That one's hard. <laughs> um, the um, counselor psychologist in my head's like, you know, you focus on the negative because that's what we focus on. Um, I mean, we saw. You want this? Lighter. Oh, <laughs> sneaky. Um, I don't know. Jog my memory. Because they're all good. Yeah, no, there's a lot of good. Um, why do I have to jog your memory on the good? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long and the bad sticks. Um, That's why I don't understand why people say that I'm the pessimist. Oh, yeah. For everyone, I'm the pessimist and I'm the mean one. For everyone out there who thinks I'm not the pessimist, you you just haven't figured it out yet. I'm the pessimist in this relationship. Yeah. Um, but I mean, some of the good is we had some students that we got to see raise up in the church. Right. Um, I got to awkwardly stumble through discipling a couple of young women orally, but I did. I, you know, God put one of our friends in Leander. Um in connection with me for about a year and we had a weekly call every you know every week obviously weekly call and the wisdom that was shared there was worthwhile and i might not have meant that um while we were church planning um well one of his provisions was a job i don't know if this is the direction you were pointing towards but um when we first moved back, or we first moved to Alpine, um, God laid out a job working for the university there. That was cool. And it was fantastic. And it was one of the first times that my my boss was a Christian. Right. And when... And a man. And a man. <laughs> uh, at that point, it was like, all right, God, I get this. Um but, like, I'd gone in for that interview and, you know, the typical interview, like, why do you want this job? What do you know about technology? Blah, 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 blah. Got the job. But then I get a call from the the executive that I would be the assistant under. Um, he's like, this is not an interview. This is not a second interview. We just need to talk. And I was like, second interview. 
Like, when I get there, it's this conversation with him um, about, why are you here? Why Alpine? Why this job? This job doesn't pay well. And you're coming from Dallas. And your resume shows you're worth more than this. And I'm like, do I tell him the truth? Hey, man, we sold our house, moved from Dallas, where we had good jobs. I had just been promoted. I was a team lead. On the verge of being promoted to next level management. Applying to be a VP, yeah. yeah. Like, we moved here because we wanted to just sort of bankrupt ourselves so we could plan a church. And I'm going to work as your assistant, getting paid, what, at least 50% less yeah. than what I was making. Or do I tell him, I just love this job. I can't wait to be an assistant here. And, you know, I just love the scenery of Alpine, which I do. And there's just something that said, like, just tell him the truth. And I did. And, you know, he was a believer. And this was one of those situations that I had the skill to do the job. I was hireable. And then I was overqualified. And I got hired based off of that. Yeah. Because this wasn't an interview. Yeah. It was a conversation. Right. <laughs> We're going to leave it at that. But like, it was a conversation. And it ended up being one of the best jobs I had while, one of starting one of the best jobs I had while we were out there, where God had placed me in a particular place to basically work in a boring IT department who wanted to see students in the office. So you have the IT department, the the executives of that boring stuffy office and they're like we watch students walk past our windows every day and they never come through the door we never get to interact we never talk to them you know and to some degree some of them that were in the office didn't care to talk to him and that's okay but he wanted to and i wanted to so we got a uh student worker and she worked with us and through her, other students came in, and all of a sudden, we start getting to know all these students. And, and ministry happened. And ministry happened. Like, yeah. surprise, when you get involved in someone's life, like, ministry happened. They ended up going to our house. We ended up helping them through things. There's a few times that they'd come in with problems, and I'd talk them through it. Yeah. Um, and so, those were amazing things that God got to do. Um, and was it exhausting? Yes, it was. And only, I guess only in a small town, there was one time you had gone out of town and I had locked my keys in the house and I texted my boss and I'm like, I'm going to be late. I locked my keys in the house and I can't get in and my husband's gone. I can't drive to work. I'm walking. He was already at work, drove back, picked me up and drove me to work. Um, so that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but getting to build those kinds of relationships, outstanding. Um, I'll go off on another tangent if I head that direction, but getting to go to the church planning conferences and sitting there and being taught what it is to do ministry and learning how to network in a biblical way and basically just gleaning all this information in all at one time 
and being able to take it back and, and, and do those things um, was amazing. But one of the biggest things and the most tiring things was relationships. Yeah. Um, we built amazing relationships and actually getting to use my psychology degree when students would call in the middle of the night or, hey, I'm going through a panic attack and I'm sitting at the park alone and it's midnight Yeah. and I get a phone call from a crying high school student and I'm like, yeah. I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> But God, I'm here for that. And right. so in the middle of the night in our small little town, I would drive to the park and sit with this this person um, and getting to do those kinds of things because of what God had called us to do. Um, so those are some of the positives for me. A lot of them are relationship based. Um, growing into the 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 call, I guess the calling there, it was realizing that hospitality is something I enjoy, which I found that out through the job I had gotten when we moved back. Beer. Uh, yeah, through <laughs> beer. Um, and yeah, so learning about customer service and hospitality and enjoying those kinds of things um, definitely might not have learned if I would have stayed in corporate cubicle life. Being a cog in the system. A cog. Yeah. And so what it was about two years to work for the brewery? Yeah, about. Yeah. I was uh, forbidden to drink. Yeah, John couldn't drink and the sick. good old SBC didn't care if you did. Yeah, I could drink. That's yeah, great. But I couldn't. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> like one of the perks of working for this brewery. <laughs> That's phenomenal products. I mean, walls of medals. Yeah. First place medals. Global. Globally. They had a banner the first year I started. Best Hefeweizen in the world. And they had the medal to prove it. And they had the medal to prove it. And it was good. It wasn't like Elf where he walks in and he's like, congratulations, you've got the best cup of coffee. <laughs> it was outstanding. Yeah. And, um, getting to know those people, I had never drank beer before when I was hired. It was like, you're going to have to learn how to appreciate something you don't enjoy. And I'm like, <laughs> I can do that. This was after owning my own food truck. Um, we can go back to that later. We can hop back to that. Um, but, uh, working for that brewery was one of the first places where I didn't have someone there that was a believer or yeah. someone there that claimed God. Yeah. You know, the cultural Christian. They were agnostic, atheist, pagan. None of them faked claimed God. And here I am, the Christian who really doesn't drink that much because I just hadn't figured out what I liked. And I definitely didn't drink beer. Um, wanting to work for a brewery that paid really well. <laughs> and working in a tap room and getting my Cicerone license, which 
if you want to learn about beer, like go ahead and take that, go get your license. And it's, it's not that much, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And that test that they make you do to get the license was the hardest test I've ever taken. Um, which is hilarious, but I failed it the first time around because it's like, you cannot think you have to just know it. And you got to click and click and click and click. And so you pass it. And so you know all these random things about beer. And so people would come into our vacation destination, basically. And they'd ask you every question on the world about these beer. And I'm just sitting there engaging. And I have to, you know, smile and be happy and and be a good customer service person. And that was exhausting. But it taught me that I could. And during those times, you know, my coworker would just be in a horrible mood. And I, you know, like, okay, this is how I'm going to show Christ here. Let me serve my coworker who, which I'm not going to tell her stories, but like, who's going through something really bad. And I'm like, okay, how do I lift that weight? How do I show her that love and and doing that and then having you come in there and you know we're allowed to give you a free glass of beer and you're like no 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 i can't have it people way over here won't let me have it and they're 500 like miles away. yeah they're like they'll never know and you're like it's fine like that meant a lot to them because all of a sudden you know there's someone there in front of them that's like i've made this decision and i'm gonna stick to it um first encounter with someone that was completely trashed um, in trying, you know, you have two women working behind the bar and you have this grown man who's drunk and he worked for the brewery and he's coming behind the bar getting beer. Like, what do you do? Oh yeah. Yeah. And just learning how to deal with that. And then through that interaction, making a connection with that person, which came in later when we had someone stay at our house who was in an abusive relationship and need somewhere safe to go. That's right. Yeah. Because of beer. (laughs) So, I mean, that's that. Um, I think you guys, you interviewed um, Zach, which is, you know, a podcast that is one of our clients. And um, there's this. The other Zach. The other Zach. Yeah. Not the Zach that just came on, but the first Zach, the Salty Saints Zach and Randy. Um, They have this understanding I think it's like the telephone thing where it's like someone says something that says something and it doesn't come out the same. They think that I can brew beer. Oh, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) So let's clear the air. I know about beer. I know how it's made. I can talk about all the different styles and types. I cannot brew it. Yeah. One thing I learned while working for this brewery is there's so much science that goes into it. And I'm not interested in learning that just human sciences, just human <laughs> sciences. But anyways, so all that to say work for big Ben brewery. And then when I think about two years in, um, the brewery goes under because it's because of, Long story, but the brewery goes under and our VP is like, here's your basically two months warning that in December, 
you're not going to have a job. Start applying. So we do. We're about to lose funding for the church. I'm our primary income. Um, you're currently working, what, almost three jobs at the time? Yeah, yeah, trying to build a business. Yeah. yeah. We're barely seeing each other. Because you're working night shift and I'm working late afternoon. Yeah. And so, like, when we spent time together, I would go hang out at the brewery. Yeah, basically. And so we would just cross each other on the on the road. By the way, people thought certain some people thought we were considering a divorce in that moment. Really? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. No, not happening. Yeah. Um. Morons. <laughs> Mind your business. Stop it. So, um. Where was I going with that? Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. So the the brewery's going under, right? And we're about to lose our primary income. We're not going to be able to pay rent. I'm throwing my resume out there, which should have gotten me a job. Uh, like, I, I have confidence in that in my resume. Like, and I'm not trying to be boastful. It, they're just not coming in. Yeah. We're not getting jobs. And we, like, can't afford the house that we're going to be in. But at the same time... It was so affordable. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, compared to where we're at now. But, like... We can't afford the house we're going to be in, but like one of my coworkers had owned a home and they were moving yeah. and we were going to rent their house. Yeah. But like, we just couldn't, if we couldn't find a job, then we can't rent the house. So like, what are we going to do? And we ended up moving in with my parents for six months. Yeah. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons, like through the church planning stuff that we had learned is when things got hard, we ran. Right. And it's like, when things got hard, you lean in on Christ and you like, you give people time to pray. You give God a time to respond. And we were like, well, you give this is people, happening. You give also give, I think, I th- what you offer, what you said, you give other people time to pray and respond and allow them the opportunity to be obedient to what God is leading yeah. them to do. And we didn't really do that. <laughs> we did not do that. So, I'd like to... Um, hop over from there. Yeah. Too because all the the really awesome stories you're sharing about the things we were, we did in ministry. They're not what I'm shooting for. No, no, they are. They are, but they make me think of other things. Oh, please. Because like those are all like um, great stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the great stories. Yeah. Uh, the things that God um called us to. Um, things he opened up for us to do. So there's, I mean, there's so much. Um, for when I think about some of my favorite times of us church planning in Alpine, yeah, this is these are not my stories, your story, but oh, I think please. you have stories within this. For the most part, with the exception of uh, some personal, some personal things, yeah, that this isn't what this pod, this is what the subject's about, yeah, but. I had a blast church playing during during COVID. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that fed all the introversion in me. <laughs> That's not what I mean. <laughs> but how was that for you? I was an essential worker. <laughs> <laughs> so I made myself essential. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um so a caveat. What I've learned over the course of my life, which isn't very long to be like, in my age, um, being someone yeah, who is dyslexic, it's 
can be difficult to lay out a timeline, right? And I've talked, we've talked about this a lot, but just the reason why I'm leaning into you to be like, please jog my memory. Um, I don't, a lot of times I don't recall well. Um, and a lot of times something that happened five years here, but this happened prior to that, I, I struggled to line it up. So yes to that. Um, COVID was interesting because I had been, we had moved back to Alpine at that point. And one of the reasons we had moved back is one of the relationships that we had started when we first moved to church plant was with a coffee shop owner couple. Yeah. And we had kept that relationship. Right. And because of them, I, you know, was like, I wonder if Cedar coffee has a position open because we were looking at moving back. And I reached out to one of the owners and he was like, yeah, we'll hire you. How's this much sound? And I was like, cool, cool. It was more than what I was making at the brewery that I was at in Blanco. And, um, which side note, a lot of times if you work for tap rooms, part of your pay is to take home beer. So yeah, we always had beer when I worked for breweries. Um, now we have to buy our beer. Um, <laughs> Lame. um, so we go back and I'm working at this coffee shop, right? Which that's a whole nother exhausting adventure. Um, because you learned about lizard people. Yeah, that is where I learned about lizard people <laughs> and astrology and flatter and yeah, yeah, that stuff. Um, you were used to be around sphere earthers. Sphere Earthers. Sphere. That's going to be a hard S on the mic. Um, but yeah, working. If you ever want to test out your limits as an introvert, go work at a coffee shop. It's. Whew. Um. So, anyways, so I'm working for this coffee shop, and COVID hits. Yeah. And like. Uh, COVID hit. You work at the no. Okay. Uh. Uh-uh. So I. Oh yeah. 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 I'm the one that struggles with timelines, sir. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we had that joke. Yeah. So I I remember one of the mornings as we're really struggling, you know, to figure out whether or not we're even going to open. So we're trying to figure out the doors if, if we're even going to open up and serve coffee. Yeah. Maybe we can pass it through the window. And this is at the time when they're like... Oh, the the virus can be transmitted on on surfaces and even on stainless steel. Like Take your shoes off. Yeah, like spray your groceries down, like all that crazy nonsense. But thank God we were in rural Texas. Yeah, because all that stuff is ridiculous. For all of you that dealt with COVID in a big city, like I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah, honor to that. But uh, so I I walk in and the owners and and the other workers there, which I have a completely different viewpoint of it. I'm like walking in, like let's 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 do this. Like I've already psyched myself up to like I'm gonna be fine, and if I get COVID and die, like it's in God's will. I'm not gonna go out of my way to be like reckless, but like whatever. And so I walk in and like all the tables and chairs are gone. And like some of them are pushed up against the wall, some of them are shoved into the 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 storage closet and I'm like this is really weird. 
the bookstore it was connected to didn't even open. It was an older woman that owned it. And I'm just like, this is uncomfortable. And this is before they were like, wear your mask, which I don't know what I would have done. Um, and so I'm just caught off guard. And people are walking in, staring at this very unwelcoming, empty space. And they're like, can I get my cup of coffee? Can I sit? And you're like, no, you can't stay. And like things just ramp up. And at this time, I had applied to go work for a crisis center. And I went in for the interview and and I got the job to work for this family crisis center. And so right as COVID is really ramping up and, and this coffee shop is just clearing out all of its space and it actually shut down, which part of me, like the selfish part of me is like, I should have stayed because the owners are amazing people. And they were like, we're going to take a week long vacation and we're going to pay you. And like, <laughs> yeah. So I leave before they do that. The selfish part of me is like, oh. um, but like they were, they were good Christian people. Um, and so they cared for their employees, but at that time I got another job. So I go work for this crisis center who happens to be literally right next to where we're, ch we now have church, the building. Right. We were yeah. And so we ended up having like these amazing relationships going back and forth and back and forth with the crisis center, because as you said, COVID was, an amazing time for the church because we were able to open a food pantry, right. an emergency food pantry. We were able to provide essentials. The church actually put out notifications to the city. The college students need toothpaste and toilet paper and stuff like that. And during a time when toilet paper was a shortage for some unknown for reason, some <laughs> unknown reason. and even our grocery store, they were tearing the packages open and you could only buy it per roll. Yeah. Like people were, <laughs> people were, were giving freely of their toilet paper. <laughs> and, and so, and, and the coffee shop allowed us to collect it, yeah. that relationship there. And we would, you know, when things would come in, to the crisis center and vice versa. Like we would share things back and forth. And so it worked really well. Or like when the food pantries, the food banks would get extra donations. When like one time we had, what was it? 500 pounds of potatoes. That yeah, came that in. It was insane. Like I didn't know what to do with all the potatoes. And then, <laughs> and then the same situation with tomatoes. And it's like the sheriff came by and I got to meet the sheriff and his deputies because they had all these tomatoes that were given and they were about to drive them down to Cholingua for us. And like, I got to meet, um, the Sanderson people because of that, the, right. the deputies and, and, a, one, of the and one of the pastors there and like making these connections because of this awesome job because of COVID. Like I'm not, I can't share too many details about her, but like there was a woman in Sanderson that was going through some horrible things. Right. And, as the representative of the crisis center, I had to be in Sanderson, this tiny little town with nothing in it, and got to spend time with the pastor and his wife there and serve food to their community through their church and love on this woman and get her connected with help. And I mean, I was there in her home as she's collecting her things to leave an abusive relationship with the sheriff's deputies in Sanderson. 
not in the town we went to church planting. And I still get messages from them today. That's cool. Yeah. And it's just amazing how God used COVID, which shut everything else down and then opened up all these avenues. So, do you have more of that story? It's not my story. (laughs) Well, we're kind of at the point where it's cliche, our story. Right. (laughs) No, um, it was just uh, an interesting time. And I think because of your, uh, the position you had with the, with the, uh, the Family Christ Center, it opened up a whole lot of doors. Yeah. Um, some, uh, I mean, some of them probably seemed natural because of the, the, the nature of the work. Mm-hmm. Others of them seemed a little bit more on... Um, yeah, the church got to, help, yeah. got to help a lot of women. Yeah. Which, and, if you're uh, church planning, not to cut you off, if you're church planning, connect with your local crisis center. Like, yeah. they need help. And the women there need they they need somebody. Right. And some of the younger women that were part of the church got to volunteer and help yeah. out in different areas. Yeah. And, and the guys got to help too. Right, right. But yeah. And uh, I think we had some previous pre-existing relationships with them oh, mm-hmm. uh, because we had um, called them, arranged meetings, and nurses available. And so occasionally we'd get calls from them beforehand. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that was cool about you working there is because I think during our earlier years, I think we were, what other people had said to me is that mm-hmm. we were overly hard on ourselves because we were hard on ourselves for how we, we had to handle the, I guess, hardships, right? Like with the brewery closing down. That kind yeah. Of we were overly, we were, some people have told me that we were way too hard on ourselves for how we handled that. Yeah. Which I, I appreciate that. Um, but one of your, I guess, I don't know if it was your if this person is your boss, but she was a longer tenured person at the yeah. press center, mm-hmm. had told you, and this is probably one of the, the biggest compliments I think you or I could ever get, but they told us during the, well, I guess we would call the the, the peak is, of yeah. the pandemic, yeah. she had told uh, us that one of the things that was different about us from other people was when other people ran off. Yeah. We would run in. Yeah. And that meant the world to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, be- she be- was definitely. Yeah. Because, like, I think because of the way we handled the situation. Yeah. Um, and that's not like a a boastful brag. But it was it's just eye-opening. A, a memory. Mm-hmm. It was a memory. It was eye-opening for how things were going. And to me, it said more about, like, how um, God had grown us and pruned us through the Mm-hmm. The I guess the roller coaster of ministry and church planning and uh, that kind of thing, and so like it was eye opening to what to, to how God had grown us I guess yeah and so like that was that meant a lot to me. Same person, um, one of the conversations we had had uh, while at work, she's like, "Oh yeah, I wasn't surprised to see you and John at that thing. You guys are helpers." Yeah, and I was like, "What does that mean?" And she goes, "Well, you're just people who are there to help." And I was like, "I just saw this is what you like. I've always just seen it as like." Well, this is what you do. This is what God says you do, so you do it. And it's not like I'm doing it out of an act of not thinking, mindless obedience. It's just we had done it, I guess, at that point for so long that it was like, well, this is what we do. And for her, she was like, you're helpers. That's what you do. You come and you you serve. And so, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, that was a, for the most part, I would say, uh, I mean, I had a lot of fun for the most part doing it. It was Yeah, fun. there was really hard, difficult, there was some it was remarkably fun. hard and difficult things. There are things that I would like to think that I would do differently, that we would do differently. Um, but for the most part, I kind of enjoyed the, the, the chaos of everything. I like organization and order. <laughs> I enjoy organization, planning, and order. Um, but I, I will say, going through, because like, I know you, you're trying to talk about the positive, but going through a lot of the negative things that we did has, because sh- sh- right now, to some degree, we're learning how to just be church members. Yeah. It has definitely opened my eyes to go, okay, here's how you love a a, a pastor and his wife. Yeah. Here's how you love their family. Here's how you serve the church. This is how we serve as leaders in the church. How you served as the pastor, how I served in that hospitality role. Here's how I can teach the others to do those things. This is what it looks like. And then you, you're a little more sensitive to, yeah, it looks like the pastor and his wife are tired. And they're not just sleepy, like they're tired or man, they seem down today where most church church members might not see it. And so it definitely highlights those things and you're able to act on them. Um, and, and so I hope for sure that we are able to carry that into yeah. being great, like church members, loving the body of Christ that we've been put in. But yeah. Um, for people who are listening, who are part of a local church, mm-hmm. they are members. Um, they want to. They may not. They they want to be probably like they want to be good active members, right? Yeah. They want to be faithful to the local body that God's put them in. Um. What are some ways that they can love and minister to their pastor's wife? <laughs> talk to her. <laughs> Actually talk to her. If she's an introvert, pay attention to whether or not she looks exhausted that day. And if yeah. she looks exhausted that day, let her decompress. Okay. And don't sit there and go, well, you're supposed to be the pastor's wife. You're supposed to talk. Mm-hmm. Let her know, hey, it's okay that you're tired and that you don't want to interact today. That's perfectly yeah. fine. Um, that's one way you can love your pastor's wife. Um, Text her, call her, and say, hey, I was praying for you today. How can I continue to pray for you? Or, you know, if they have children, how about we go get coffee and and the kids come with us? Because sometimes, especially in the circles that we're in, there's quite a few kids. Right. And a lot of times, if you want to go hang out with her, the kids come with her. And that sometimes comes with a burden. Of, well, I can't sit down and have that conversation. Well, if you, like us, have the ability to just go, make it perfectly clear. You and your children can come and and be in this conversation with us. Um, and basically allow her to feel that welcomeness. And if she says no, don't take it personally. Don't, 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 because I've seen this so many times. If you're trying as a woman to reach out to the pastor's wife and she's like no i can't do that no i don't she doesn't answer your text message she doesn't call you back like grace upon grace upon grace upon grace because 
I've been on that side and oh, that one phone call is five or six more to her. Yeah. And you think you're the only one texting and calling, but if she misses yours, you pile grace because she's probably answered 10 other ones. Or she's if she's got children, she's probably chasing a child who's now thrown his diaper off as he runs down the hallway during community group. Like, <laughs> grace. So much grace. Um, and that goes for the, the pastor, too. But, like, get your mind off of you and, and, and get your mind on serving and serve her. And don't go, well, she didn't answer me. Or... She didn't call me back or she never meets with me. Like what else is going on there? Yeah. So, cause I know that for, for, I guess for the, for the member of the church who understands that the church goes beyond a weekly meeting. Yeah. Um, for the piece, the, for the person who understands that, like, or is understanding and growing understanding, like the church is, a local community of people. Mm-hmm. Um, some us more people. Some people have a, an awareness that the pastor has a, a challenging job, yeah, a challenging life. That's if he doesn't and trying to yeah. like be a husband, be a father, being a pastor, and also just being a person. They understand mm-hmm. that it is challenging, yeah, and that it is exhausting. Uh, people tend to. Uh, forget that the his wife carries a lot as well. Oh yeah. And I learned that. Yeah. And uh some of the things that he carries heavily, she carries more, I guess, more heavily. <laughs> the the weight is heavier. <laughs> the weight yeah. is heavier sometimes. Well yeah. And it's not it's not known. Yeah. Especially if there is difficult things going on mm-hmm. uh that require maybe like just like challenges with people dealing with the dealing with sin and all these different kind of things. Um, she may not know, but she knows. Yeah. And, um, sometimes like sometimes pastors get done dirty and he may have, he may be dealing with that, but when her husband gets done wrong, Mm -hmm. like, well, yeah. If, if something's done against your husband, yeah, it is, and we know this from experience, yeah. it is very hard. It yeah. is very hard for me, personally, as the wife, to go, I forgive you, we're moving on. Yeah. Especially if you're in a small town and you have to see them over and over again. Yeah. Internally, you're battling that sin. I honestly think it's harder when, rightfully so, as a pastor, someone's attacked you. And out of confidentiality, you cannot share that. Right. And out of and out of care for me, right. you don't share that. Yeah. But here you are, praying that you have other men. You know, I'm praying you have other men feeding into you and that you are leaning into God because you're then to carry that on your own. And that comes out towards, not, not negatively towards me, but like your personalities change. You act different. You carry right. that stress. It, like your quietness and reservation in that, rightfully so, comes out in other aspects of life. Yeah. And the wife and children take that on. Yeah. And so in your care for your wife and children, it still happens. 
So right. like that ripple effect of sin is always going to be there in some way. And to some degree, that's almost worse because you're like, I don't know what's ailing him. I'm going to pray towards that. And then I'm going to, again, put grace on that. Because when you're frustrated and you potentially say something that I know wasn't meant to be said in that way, I'm like, grace in that. Don't get angry. There's something more to this. And so occasionally, like, the pastor's wife needs um, people, like, she needs care as well. And she needs people checking in on her. Yes. And just basically people to be just paying attention. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, not to be forgotten. Yeah. 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 So on a completely different note, (laughs) uh, talk about your... um, heart and passion for homesteading oh yeah homesteading well um i'm not sure how much they can see but um that's fine yeah there's about 50 tomato plants in our backyard right now because (laughs) yeah because reasons um but i do i have a desire to shoot for self-sufficiency um to grow stuff to learn how to do that, to, um, just to, to learn something. Cause like, if we want to go down that rabbit hole of like, if the world ends, like (laughs) if the world ends, like I'm not the one that's going out there and hunting, I'm not going to be the one. Civilization crumbles. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry, if civilization crumbles, (laughs) if the world ends, I'm not worried about any of this. Um, but like if civilization crumbles, let's think about that. Um, I'm not the one that's going out and hunting and gathering. I am going to embrace my role <laughs> <laughs> as the homemaker, right? Um, but in that theory, like, or along that same vein is as women get older, like, I'm not going to be the person that say we have less values, but like, we're not able to do the same things that we're able to do. Yeah. We're not able, you know, society as broken as the view of it is like our value goes down. Well, forget all of that. Maybe I can't go and do those things. Maybe I can't do the things I used to be able to do, but I'm going to have a skill. I'm going to have an ability that I can lean into. I'm going to have something more about me that isn't just like, I have a pretty face. Or I can speak eloquently because I can't. Um, I'm going to have something. And so I'm learning how to grow vegetables. And you know what? In our abundance, we will give it away. Yeah. Um, I am learning how to uh, make things from scratch. I'm learning how to bake, which there's a funny story behind that. Um, And so just learning how to be self-sufficient learning how and like i have this weird love for water stills one day one day we're gonna have a water still which if you don't know what a water still is it's basically this little this uh i need two hands for this it's basically this little box that's about that big that has a piece of glass and it's all painted on the inside and has a little line on the glass and the water condensates and drips down condensates and drips down and you get water basically if you ever lose water you can just rely on the water still. So all you preppers out there who have gallons upon gallons upon gallons, when you run out of water and you can't go get more water, you better have a water still. Um, 
So anyways, I have a weird love for that. Can't wait to build that one day. Um, but, uh, yeah. So just having this self-sufficiency about me, this, this something more than, you know, to talk about, to do something interesting. And then again, tying that into, I have 50 tomato plants. If all, if all goes well and God blesses the garden, we're going to have more tomatoes than we're going to know what to do with. And guess what I get to do? I get to bring them to church and I get to give them away. And that's going to be amazing. But the funny story is I learned how to make sourdough bread. And I wish I could say it was from a desire to actually want to know how to make sourdough bread. But it wasn't. Um, as we got more and more into the reform circles, there's this understanding, this unwritten rule that I stumbled upon in the women's circles of things where it's like, oh, you're a reformed woman. Do you have six children and know how to make sourdough bread? (laughs) And I'm like, no, I don't have either of those things, but I can learn how to make sourdough bread. (laughs) And I'm talking like, it wasn't just one. It was like six seven people in the course of like a month like can you make bread do you know how to make sourdough bread and i'm like no i don't and i was like all right fine let me prove that i can be a reformed woman (laughs) so i will make sourdough bread and you know what i kept it alive for a year and then we went on vacation or i went on a vacation for a week and it got left on the counter and no one fed it and it died yep a year's worth of work. That was frustrating. So anyways, so yeah, homesteading would be awesome. If we can go get a large chunk of land and start getting cows and and chickens and pigs and veggies and eat life. Anyways. So what is your favorite video game right now? (laughs) So at the moment, yeah, Zelda. Yeah. It is all about Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, like and it just came out and I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, 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 I know there's shrines. Yes, shrines. yes, shrines. Yes, yes, I know whatever. Um it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um I've always enjoyed video games. So I said this the other day on Facebook and Twitter and stuff, but yeah, you did. I always thought Zelda was the guy. Yeah, it's not the guy. Which, it's one of the few... <laughs> well, it's not called, like, Super Peach Brothers. It's called Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't have sold well. <laughs> Super Peach Brothers. Yeah, it is one of the few video games, though, where there's still a damsel to be rescued. Few? I can't name any other ones Seriously? off the top of my head. I mean, the goal of it is Link searches for the princess. No, yeah, yeah. And and they saved the kingdom. I just didn't know that they got rid of all the damsels. I mean, apparently, we haven't watched it, but apparently in a new Mario movie, Peach was pretty self-sufficient. Huh. <laughs> well, then what's the point? Right. What's the point? So, Zelda, you yep. still saved the damsel. What level are you on? There's no levels. <laughs> <laughs> There's only hearts and stamina wheels. So, like, how far are you? Do you know? I'm probably not even 25% through this game. It's oh, a seriously? it's an open world game. 
So if you would like, you can follow the uh, storyline and try to speed run it, run it, or you can go get a horse and run around on the trails for five hours and never proceed forward. That's probably what I would do. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <sighs> cool. Do you have anything you want to add? Oh, there's so much. Yeah. We we can always do a, a fill in in the future where we dive into some frustrations of the women in the church, but that's a soapbox I can talk in for hours on. We can do that for the second one. Yeah. If you decide you want to do the second one. Yeah. After you've done the, the editing. failure of the women in the church. <laughs> well, thank you all, everybody, for joining us. Um, as always, don't forget to um, like the video, subscribe to the channel, click the bell, any questions or comments you have, if you haven't already dropped them, uh, go ahead and put them, up, come, put them down in the comments. Uh, like we said, we'll leave some uh, links and references to some of the stuff that uh, Emily had mentioned. Uh, but until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Mm -hmm.